It's bad enough that people approach the Bible as a theological dissertation, which it's not, but it's not even theological. <laughs> All right, welcome to the first episode of the Mura Scriptura podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about political propaganda in the Old Testament. Uh, but first, I want to just do a brief intro to mirror reading and what that is, since this is the first episode and some of you may not be familiar with it. Uh, mirror reading is just a way of interpreting uh, the Bible by reflecting what the biblical, biblical author wrote. Uh, to get a better understanding of what the situation was that he was writing to. So, for example, if Paul said, don't do such and such, then there was a false teacher saying that they should do such and such. So it's like hearing half of a phone conversation and you're trying to figure out what the other half of the conversation is, and mirror reading helps one do that. Uh, item number two about the podcast. So this is going to be a bigger picture, fo focusing on the big picture in, in terms of what I do, in terms of the mirror reading that I do. If you're looking for more details, if you're a Bible dork and you are into that type of stuff, you can go to my website, which is mirrorreading.com. That's M-I-R-R-O-R reading.com. And uh, I'll have uh, specific verses and spreadsheets and all that on there for those who are detailed oriented. The time on these episodes is probably going to vary uh, depending on the content that I have to share that I have to share for the episode. This episode will probably a little, be a little bit shorter. And then for now, it's just going to be me. I thought about getting a co-host since I'm. A little bit on the lower energy side and I like to have a higher energy co-host with me but um, I just have some really awesome content that I want to share with you guys and so I'm just going to be doing it by myself so I can communicate that and stay focused on that content. Uh, so there's two types of people that typically study the Bible. One is they're studying the Bible to help them with their lives and two they're studying the bible to uh, support their find support for their theology um, and sometimes those uh, types intermix but i'm not really i'm not going to be addressing either of those types but what i do can be used as seeds uh, for those types so i'm just focusing on the meaning of the text the uh, why the text was written uh, originally so you know how how that applies to your life or you know, how that supports your theology that's uh, that'll be up to you to figure that out although I will say I'll probably have a theological impact in a section in each episode uh, and I will uh, try to tease out a little bit of the theological implications of the mirror reading that I do although that's not really my it's not really my thing I'm more of an exegete, not a not a preacher or uh, anything like that, or even a theologian. So, um, although I'm familiar with those topics, and one other thing I wanted to mention is about the theological impact that mere reading can have, in, in terms of how I'm approaching it, and that is I'm a pro. I'm I'm studying 
not in terms of theological topics. I'm studying in terms of, of books of the Bible. So, you know, if I mere read something in Galatians and it knocks out one of the legs of Calvinism, you know, there may, there's four, there's four or 20 more legs in Romans, or there could be, I'm not saying there is or isn't. I'm just saying that unless it's a one versed theological topic, then my mere reading probably won't have a super big impact. I mean, unless I mere read the whole Bible uh, or, or all the verses that have to do with that theological topic. So unless it's something like the rapture, which pretty much depends on one verse and what is first or second Th- Thessalonians, then you know the theological impact may be limited. So uh, don't get upset for me for not uh, explaining all the theological implications of of the mere reading, but I hope you get some value out of it and uh, are enlightened by the, the mere reading that I do. Item number three, define political propaganda. So when I say political propaganda in the Old Testament, uh, I mean political, uh, not necessarily in the sense of government, but any any type of group, uh, whether it be government, government or uh, religious, and propaganda, I don't necessarily mean in a negative sense. I just mean it's a uh, messaging that is has that's promoting the agenda of one of those political groups. Uh, having said that, though, po- politics and religion were, were very much intertwined in the ancient world. Uh, so you'll be seeing that played out as we mere read here in the next episodes. Item number four. Some examples of political propaganda from some of the work that I've done already. So the Old Testament is fairly, it's a fairly new playground to me. I've, I've done most of my studies in the New Testament, and so I'd become very familiar with that. And, and so the, the Old Testament has been really interesting to learn the uh, situations that the authors have, uh, were, were writing to. And so one of those situations, for example, is the uh, pro-Egypt faction and the pro-Babylon faction. So you see a lot of this in the uh, prophetic writings where you have one. So Israel kind of sat in between these two empires, uh, the Egyptian empire and the Babylonian empire. And it was a big uh, to do back then. Who was going to who was going to be greater? Who was going to win out? And uh, some in Israel thought it was going to be Egypt and they wanted to ally with Egypt and some thought it was going to be Babylon and they wanted to play ball with uh, Babylon. And it was the pro-Babylonian faction that uh, won. I don't know if won is a good word since they destroyed Jerusalem, but uh, they ended up being right. Babylon did end up uh, going uh, to defeat Egypt and then eventually to uh, conquering Jerusalem. Another example is in First and Second Samuel, and the writer of First and Second Samuel is really uh, defending the line of David, is tr- trying to prevent almost like a civil war from breaking out. The tribe of Benjamin and and the tribe of Judah were kind of at odds uh, since the uh, first king of Israel was Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and the second king was David, and he was from the tribe of Judah. And so the, the author of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel is dealing with these 
arguments that David had taken the throne away from Saul's line uh, illegitimately. And so he's really trying to defend against that. And um, at the same time, trying to keep the peace. He doesn't want uh, uh, the descendants of, of David going after the um, tribe of, of Benjamin either, or the, or the descendants of Saul. So lots of uh, sticky political situations there that he's trying to deal with. Uh, there is a religious side of there too. He, he does tr defend the priestly line of Samuel uh, since Eli's son screwed up there and so Samuel was installed instead. So there was a religious element to that as well. And then the book of Nahum, or Nahum, however you want to say it. In that book, uh, so the, the Assyrians had, had come and had laid siege to Jerusalem and they eventually left without uh, attacking the city or uh, conquering the city. And so now it was, t it was time for the rest of the Israelites, or Judeans, I guess I should say, those in the southern kingdom, it was time for them to come to um, for their festivals and to pay their tithes at the temple in Jerusalem. But they were kind of skittish because the Assyrians had just been there and they're not sure if they were gonna come back. and so. They don't want to get stuck in Jerusalem with their pants down. And so they're really debating whether they should even go to the festival. And Nahum is really responding to that and say, don't worry about Assyria. God's going to take care of them and defeat them. And uh, you won't have to worry about them coming ever again. So you can go to your festivals and make sure to bring your tithes so you can pay that to the temple. And... Um, that is kind of the situation that Nahum is, is addressing. Uh, the last example, well, I'm not really going to give examples, I guess. I'm just going to mention the, what I'm going to be focusing on in the um, future episodes, or the next few future episodes here, as I'm going to be focusing on the Elohist source. The, Elo, the Elohist source... I'll talk about what that is in uh, next episode, actually. But uh, one of the authors in the Old Testament, I'm going to be taking a look at them. Item number five, a list of common elements of propaganda. Uh, first one is offspring slash bloodline reassignment. So things like um, reassigning somebody's son to another father so that that impacts a particular set of descendants. So I'm going to be taking a look in the future at uh, whether Isaac was really Abraham's son. And uh, the Elohist source is trying to convince the original readers that he was, in fact, Abraham's son. Because there was somebody, there was some out there that thought he was somebody else's son. And you'll have to stay tuned for next or next two episodes to see who that is. Um, other common propaganda, establish, establishing international boundaries, establish, establish God's identity, explain actions, explain sayings, establish places of worship, combine names identity, and identities. So uh, in some cases, there was people were thinking that two different names are two different people, and the biblical author is trying to combine those two names into one person. Uh, establishing certain characters, relationship, status with God, 
uh, reputation correction, reputation management, establishing tribal relations, so how the different tribes of uh, in Israel re- related to each other, and um, establishing king, kingly lines and priestly lines, like I spoke of in First uh, and Second Samuel. So that is a list of com- common things you'll find in uh, the old uh, Old Testament that are more political propaganda type things. Item number six, narrative flow. The Bible's kind of choppy in certain areas, and that's uh, one reason could be there's multiple authors. The other reason is that um, it's political propaganda, and for that reason, the author's not concerned about narrative flow. They're concerned about political talking points. As they're writing, they may just be going down the line of their political talking points, not really too concerned about the flow. Uh, And so that is uh, maybe one of the reasons why certain parts of the Old Testament is kind of choppy. Item number seven. So the theological impact of this political propaganda. Really, to me, I think that it means that we're really just gleaning theological content out of the Old Testament. I mean, it's like uh, crumbs from, from the table. And that's, that makes a big difference because if, if people approach the Bible, it's bad enough that people approach the Bible as a theological dissertation, which it's not, but it's not even theological. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, political. Uh, at least parts of the Old Testament are largely political. They're, they're not theological um, writings with political stuff sprinkled in. They're political writings with theological elements used to support those political uh, arguments. So the, I think that's a big shift in, in thought, uh, I think, for a lot of people. And um, I think to get a better understanding of the Bible, you need to have that realization. Um, that's not, com- I mean, compared to the New Testament, that's totally different. The New Testament is very theologically driven and um, not not so much political at all. Those there's there's kind of a movement out there that I think the a lot of the New Testament is about subverting subverting the Roman Empire, but I'm not a big fan of that uh, theory. Um, but uh, I'm not going to go into that right now. All right. Well, I think that's it for episode one. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time. <laughs>